Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. If you are there, say praise the Lord. Paul said this. He said, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Somebody shout that word, liberty. He said, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He said, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He said, if you've been free, stay free. If you've been set free, then stay free. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't go back. If you've been free, don't go get entangled again. Now over to John, John chapter 8. And verse number 31, John chapter 8 and verse number 31. Jesus speaking directly to the Jews, to Abraham's seed. He said to those Jews which believed on him. Why them specifically? Because there were a bunch that didn't. But to the ones that believed on him, who he was, that doesn't mean that they said, yes, I believe in Jesus. That means they believed Jesus was who he said he was. And the ones that believed on him, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. I love this. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples, and you're going to know truth. And it is the truth. That makes you free. I'm here to tell you today, there is no freedom outside his word. There is no freedom outside of his word. Well, I remember standing on the auction block of sin. Satan had control of me. He had the highest bid. But ownership was transferred way back on Calvary. Sit when he said, my child, I bought you so that you could be set free. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. There's no more chains or slavery. Truth has triumphed with liberty he that the son is set free is free indeed oh he that the son is set free is free indeed there's no more chains or slavery truth has triumphed with liberty he that the son is set free is free indeed. Now I belong to Jesus. I'm a child of the King. I traded filthy garments for a robe of royalty. I love this part. The chains that used to bind me, they're now laying at my feet. You see, the devil can't make a lock that my God doesn't hold the key. He that the sun is set free. Aren't you glad this morning? There's no more chains or slavery. 
Oh, with a liberty. He got the sun is set free. It's free indeed. Oh, he got the sun is set free. It's free indeed. There's no more change. The sun is set free. It's free indeed. Would you give God praise? Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning with the help of the Lord. Let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. Amen. Now, this is a special week in the United States of America as we celebrate, uh, I guess you would say, our independence. Um, we become more and more independent every day. But we are making ourselves independent from the help of God. And that doesn't leave God a lot of options for people that turn their backs on him. As a matter of fact, his word said that righteousness is what exalts a nation. It's righteousness that exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And any time in history that you look at the Lord lifting, not necessarily destroying him, himself, but lifting a hedge from people, it was because they turned their backs against the Lord and you're looking at one man today who believes as strong as I've ever believed it that the only hope for this nation is Jesus the only hope for this nation is revival the only hope for this nation is for the church to wake up and realize that it's time for us to stand up and let our voice be heard amen now We've all heard it said before, let freedom ring. But what exactly does it mean to let freedom ring? The simplest answer could be found in the tolling of the bell. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen it in person, been to Philadelphia to see the Liberty Bell that was rang. But this is kind of where the idea came from. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. When I was a kid, my mother uh, homeschooled us and she started... Uh, homeschooling us in the back room of a little house on Alliance Road. And uh, she had this little, this little Liberty Bell, the little copper Liberty Bell, about that big. And uh, when she would send us out, me and my sister out for recess, uh, she would step outside and she would ring that bell and let us know it's time to come back in for school. Now, that was the Liberty Bell she, she held in her hand but it didn't mean liberty for me when I heard it ring. When she rang the liberty bell, that means your liberty is gone. When my mom rang the liberty bell, it was you come now or I'm going to crack more than this bell. And so uh, my, my first association with the liberty bell ringing was that your freedom has come to an end for just a little while. And uh, we still laugh and play and joke about the wonderful memories that we made. Uh, I was one of those kids that 
apparently, if my head would not have been attached, you've heard the stories, my head would have been missing. And uh, I had a real hard time holding on to a number two pencil for some reason when I'd go, go out uh, for that break. And she would ring that bell. There was something magic in my mom's Liberty Bell. That when she would ring the bell, my pencil would disappear. Because when I would come back in to do my school, she would say, where's your pencil? And I'd say, I don't know. So I don't know exactly how the size scale works, but if it works on a scale of 1 to 10, I went from a number 2 pencil to a 29. And she got me a number 29. It was about that long, about that big around. And she said, you won't lose this one. And she took a thumbtack and a piece of red yarn and put it in the the eraser of that thing, and made me put it around my neck, and she said, you'll wear this. <laughs> and we still laugh about that to this day. But it, it's funny, the things that you associate it with. And uh, when, I, when I think back on my life and the blessings of the Lord, I am amazed at the blessings in favor of God. And the reason why I was raised in the kind of home that I was, the reason that I was raised in the kind of church that I was, is because somebody rang a bell. Somebody fought for a cause that was greater than themselves. Somebody laid down their life so that I could be free. I looked at my girls this morning in the car, and I said, you didn't dress red, white, and blue. And they said, well, it's not the fourth. And I said, well, it is the fourth weekend. And so, just for those that wonder, I want you to know that July the 2nd is just as important as July the 4th. And it was on, it was on April the 19th, 1775, that the shot heard around the world, as it has been called, echoed far and wide from Concord, Massachusetts, throughout the colonies in Europe, finally culminating some 14 and a half months later in a final earth-changing resonance with the adoption of the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia and the conclusion of a new beginning. But it was not on July 4th that that decision was made. Our legal separation from Great Britain or the Declaration of Independence actually occurred on July the 2nd. And it was on this date that the Second Continental Congress voted unanimously to approve a resolution of independence that had been proposed the prior month by Richard Lee Henry of Virginia. His resolution declared that the colonies were to be independent from Great Britain. And it said this, resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. And that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. I wonder what he really meant. Sounds like they were pretty straightforward. It was on this day that got one of our most famous signers of the Declaration, Mr. John Adams, so excited. In fact, that on July the 2nd, 
He said it would be a day that history would remember as the beginning of this new nation. In a letter that he wrote to his wife Abigail, he said, and I quote, This second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. Now I want you to listen to this language. He said, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other and from this time forward and forever. I want to tell you today that there were some people who believed with conviction that if God is not the center of what we're doing, there's only one pathway from there. And that is a pathway to destruction. And while God is not American and God is not into politics, I do want you to know that God is into government. The Bible said that the government is on his shoulders and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And I feel like telling you today that the reason why we are free is because of men who fought and laid down their lives, but they did it with the idea that true freedom can only come from a nation that keeps God first and foremost at the middle of everything that we do. When the shot 14 and a half months later was heard around the world, there became a, a phrase that was heard Around the world, let freedom ring. It was the echoing off of the hills and the mountains and the rivers and the streams. They said it was heard around the world. That was not literally, but there was an impact that was made around the world because somebody put their foot down and said, we refuse to believe anything but our God being the one true living God. Now, folks. I'm not here today to preach about American history, but I am here to tell you that our history will be our brightest days if we don't do something about being sure that God is still at the center of everything that we do. I'm saying there's going to be groups that are going to do their best to say and do what they want to do, but the beauty of this nation is that if they want to worship sex and perversion as their religion, that's their right. But you and I have a right. Now, I, I don't want this to come across as strange to you today, and I'm certainly not, I don't want you drawing any conclusions by what I'm about to say. Uh, I think you know where I stand with this, but I will say that with all the sexual perversion, and I believe that, I believe that sexuality is truly a religion. I believe that all this pride stuff, I believe it's religion. I believe it has become religion to people. This is what I know, though. They're willing to lift their voice and say what they believe in. And I don't necessarily like what they believe in, 
And I don't like the way some of them say it, but I can tell you this. It's got to be better than a silent church. We can't just sit idly by and act like that we are blind to it like ostriches with our heads buried in the sand. I've come to tell you I'm going to believe it until the rapture of the church or until the Lord calls me out of here that we're going to see the greatest revival that we have ever seen in this nation. And it's going to come by people who are hungry for freedom in this nation to continue to worship God. But I want to say this to you this morning with all respect and all kindness that I can in my heart. There's no reason for us to sit around and talk about freedoms and liberties being attacked. The freedom of worship being attacked and, and, and Christians being put on lists as terrorists and all of the things that the governments of this nation are doing and we sit around in closed groups and talk about all the things that we dislike about this government yet then when the doors of the church are open Hey, I'm telling you, I'm not just here to say I'm glad that I'm free. I'm here to take up every opportunity that I can. If I'm going to live in a free nation where I can worship the Lord, then I'm going to worship the Lord. And I'm going to be in the house of God every time the doors are open. And I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him my best. I'm going to tell you what scares me about this. Is how many people in this great nation refuse to worship Him while we're free? And I'm going to tell you, there's two parts of this that scare me. You can look at this from two different perspectives. Number one, I feel like in my heart, if you won't worship Him while you're free, you probably won't worship Him when you're not. And for those of you that would question that, we've already seen that happen in this country just a few years ago. But I'm going to tell you the other part of this. From God's perspective, sometimes the Lord knows that a little too much freedom and a little too much liberty goes to the head of people. And they think they are the reason why they're free. And so he has to let a little pressure come on people. So that they realize how bad it could be. I'll be honest with you. I hope with all my hope that's within me and every, every fiber of my being. That we don't live long enough and stay long enough on this earth. To see this nation become a communist nation. Now I know that's. I mean you, you can read the communist manifesto. And you can see very clearly that is the direction that people are trying to move this country. But understand me when I tell you this. We have no excuse to not be free in our worship. But there are people who live in nations where what we're doing right here is illegal by their government. But today, they still worship. And today, they still preach. And today, they still give God the praise and the glory. I have, I have friends and connections in, in uh, China today that are some of the greatest 
birthday party throwers you've ever seen in your life. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, you got to get creative. And so when they broke out in revival, they had police knocking on their doors and government officials knocking on their doors wanting to know what they're doing because it's illegal to gather and worship. So they started blowing up balloons and cake and decorations and celebration. And they'd start making noise and worshiping and shouting and dancing and speaking in other tongues. And when somebody would knock on the door and they answered the door and said, what's going on in here? They said, we're just having a party. Well, I want to tell you today, I don't have any balloons and cake and decorations in here. But if you really want to know what's going on at FTC this morning, we're just having a party. And I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's a powerful party. Because when you've been set free by the Son of the living God, you are free in deed. Somebody shout yes. You are free in deed. Now, when Jesus made this statement back to John chapter 8 where we started this morning in verse 32, he said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. In verse 36 he said. If the son therefore shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. What he was saying to them. Is that the systems you have relied on. That you felt like made you free. Were incomplete. He was talking to the Jews. That believed on him. Yet they also believed in a system. That. From the creation of man, God began to form a system of structure and and laws. And of course, by the time Moses at the first Pentecost at Mount Sinai receives the word of the Lord, and we don't have time to go into all of that today, but the Lord began with ten commandments that he had put on stone. And he said that there was going to come a day that the laws that he had written on the stone would be written in the hearts of man And the intention of the laws of God were never for salvation. There was nobody in the wilderness who adhered to the laws of God that ever knew what it really felt like to be free. They were freed from the slavery and the bondage of Egypt. But they were not free from themselves. As a matter of fact, while the law of God was being given on the mountain... The very first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, while God was speaking that, was being broken in the valley. And they were creating gods for themselves. And the Lord dealt with his people and he used the law to corral his people and to bring his people together and to put some limitations around their lives. I want to tell you that the limitations in my life are not what save me, but they will keep me saved. You can never underestimate the value of offense in your life. You can never underestimate the value of conviction. Or as Pastor Soto said it on Friday, he said you cannot underestimate the value of a hedge. The reason why we need hedges in our lives is not to just keep us in. But the value of a hedge is not only what it keeps in, but what it keeps out. 
I want to tell you today that the world would love to desensitize you to this message, but it's still the truth that your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. But when he comes to a child of God that's got a hedge in their life, he said, I can't cross that hedge. I can't cross that blood. And so the law, the system of the law, you can't take away from the power of it because it was so powerful. But it was incomplete. And that's, that is not heresy. That's not, that's not making fun of the word of God. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul said the same thing. He said, for what the law could not do. He said there was just some things that the law could not do. And one of the things that the law could not do was set them free from their sin. They would come to the high priest and they would offer a sacrifice and their sin would be atoned and pushed forward for a year. But Jesus was speaking to people who were familiar with this mindset that you've never really been delivered. You've only just felt temporary relief. I've come to preach to somebody this morning. He was preaching to a generation who had never understood deliverance. They only understood how to temporarily feel relief from where they were. This is a picture of modern religion that people come to church and they gather together and they do just enough to feel relief from the pressures of life, but there's not enough conviction to change them and to challenge the way that they're living. But Jesus said this. He said, if you will continue in my word you will be my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free he went on and said and if the son has made you free then you are free indeed And when the Son makes you free, how does He make you free? You are free by His blood. You are free by Calvary. You are free because of His resurrection. You are free because you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You are free because you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you've got freedom in your spirit today, you ought to let freedom ring. You're not going to be free through traditions. You're not going to be free by sprinkle baptism. You're not going to be free by infant baptism. You're not going to be freed by baptism under John's baptism. A baptism of repentance. He said if you want to be freed, your sins have to be remitted. As a matter of fact, it's the, the word's so simple, it's so easy, but Matthew 28, 19, everybody loves that, that that uh, he said, go ye into all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Somebody shout the name. Amen. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not a real smart man, but I can tell you this. My mama did a good enough job with me in school that I know what a prepositional phrase is. Anybody here know what a prepositional phrase is? Well, then we've got quite the conundrum here. He said, go you therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Somebody say the name. The name. Anybody remember how to do a prepositional phrase? All right, so we're going to put it up here today. We got the name. 
And then we got our little branches on the bottom. Anybody remember those? So let's break it down. We've got the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Spirit, of the Holy Ghost. But it's still incomplete. Because there is no proper noun in this prepositional phrase. So how is it fixed? Well, Mark fixed it. He recorded Jesus saying the same thing. He said that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in my name to all nations. So then how did the apostles obey what Jesus said? It's crystal clear. When they baptized, everywhere they baptized, in the book of Acts when the church started, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, when they baptized, they baptized them in the name of Jesus. Well, how do you know when you're free? I'll tell you how you know when you're free. You know that he was the father in creation and the son in redemption and the spirit in the church, but he never had to stop being any and all of those to have a name. And when the name was given under heaven among men the name was Jesus the Jewish people were afraid to write the name of God you don't have to be afraid to write the name of God he has a name his name is Jesus I'm telling you today he said this is an old sacred tradition that could not fix your problem. He said, if you want to know what freedom is, freedom comes from the Son. And the Son has a name. And His name is Jesus. There is a group of people, we call them the Yeshua movement. And they believe that unless you're baptized in the name of Yeshua, that you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus because Yeshua was His Jewish name. Now, I'm going to tell you what's funny about this is that they say everything else they say and preach in English. <laughs> but they speak Hebrew when they say one name. And I baptize you in the name of Yeshua. Yeshua, Hamashiach. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm not trying to be mean today, but God speaks English too. Why does that matter? Because I don't care if you speak Mandarin Chinese. I don't care if you speak Tamil Urdu. I, I, I don't care if you speak Spanish. I don't, I don't, it, it doesn't matter if you speak Dutch or German. I'm going to tell you, when you say Jesus, every devil that's around you is privy to what you just said. I, it doesn't matter to me if you've been baptized in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christo. It doesn't matter to me how you've been baptized or what language as long as you've been baptized in the name of Jesus. Because Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 was written in the Greek language. And when translated, it said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved you are free by the name I wish somebody would let freedom ring and shout that wonderful matchless name today we 
we've got two precious young ladies, at least that I know of, two today, that are going to be baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. It's good to have the Rudd family here with us. And I'm going to tell you, Brother Rudd, I still believe like I've always believed it. It's not optional. You don't get to pick what formula you want to use. Folks, I'm going to tell you, we've overcomplicated this thing. Religion has overcomplicated the Word of God. But I woke up this morning, and uh, I don't know why this happens to me. God only knows how many books I've read. Brother Stephen, I wish I would have started tracking that when I was young. I didn't, I didn't do anything cool like that. You know, I, I know guys that say I've preached 479 camp meetings in the last two years. They got record of every one of them like, wow. How many sermons do you think you preach? I don't know. I don't have a clue. Just enough to strip my gears out and keep me from being able to sing like I want to. That's all I know. But I, I've, read, I've read books. It's, I'm telling on myself. My wife don't like it much, but you know, my, my office is full of books. Brother Stephen came in one time and organized my library and gave me an electronic log. I've got a spreadsheet of every book. I can search from every author and what I've got. And then my office got full in my house. My daughters come in there, you know, sometimes at night. Well, they used to come in there and say good night before they got too big. We don't kiss daddy anymore. Good night. Cause you know how it is, Brother Gray. They just. But anyway, what was I saying? <laughs> so by my bed, <laughs> I got a stack about this tall, and I don't know. How many? Three rows. I mean, it's, you know, it's a convenient place to read. You read, and when you get done, you just go. And then when you look down at the stack, you're like, I should be pretty smart. <laughs> but I'm not. But I woke up this morning, and the Lord laid a book on my heart. I did go back through my records and found out it was in 2015 when I read the book. The book is, uh, the author is... Uh, Andy Andrews, I have several of his books in my library, good kind of, uh, uh, I wouldn't say self-help, how, how would you characterize, just encouraging readings, some leadership principles, uh, kind of like the history and development, it's kind of like that, the book that Brother Gill wrote, it's just a good self-help book. It's, uh, I mean, Lord, has anybody in here? Happened to seen uh, the latest release from the ministry of this church, Brother Jordan Fry's book, Male and Female. You seen that? Male and Female created he them. Man, we got, we got some stars around here. These guys are like, they're pumping out stuff. All these guys across the country are like, man, you got some talented, gifted guys in your church. I'm like, thank God for them. When are you going to write? I don't know. I'm struggling to preach. 
there was a story that came to me from 2015. It was a book that I read. It was Andy Andrews' book called Seven Decisions. And in this book called Seven Decisions, he tells this story. And I, I went back and found it this morning and wrote it down. He had a section in this book called Catching the Prize. Now, I know reading can be boring, but I want you to stay with me. Because what I'm preaching to you today is about understanding the freedom of being born again and being a child of God. You follow what I'm saying? If you've been made free, you are free indeed. And Paul said to the church at Galatia, he said, if you've been free, then stay free. Right? In the 1920s, and I'm quoting from the book for all of you that are worried about the copyright. A well-known wealthy industrialist controlled a vast portion of our country's prosperity. With his wealth, he purchased a zoo. It wasn't a public zoo or even a private zoo. It was his personal zoo located on his estate. For the pleasure of this one man and his family. National dignitaries were occasionally allowed to view the animals. In the days before, before zoo breeding programs traded animals, his zoo was one of the most complete collections the zoological world had ever known. During this time, it was said zookeepers traveled to various countries, mounted safaris, and captured animals to bring them back. But one day he heard about this beautiful, rare type of gazelle from Africa. Brother Robbie would probably be familiar with. But it wasn't showcased in any zoo in the world. And he became obsessed with the idea of becoming the first to have one of these animals in his collection. He mounted an expedition to Africa, including food and supplies and men to carry the tents. And when they landed on the African shore, the man contacted the natives to learn about this animal and its whereabouts. Over and over, he was told, you'll never catch one. Listen to me now. You'll never catch one. They're too fast and too strong. You can shoot and kill them from a distance, but you'll never get close enough to take one alive. But he told one reporter that was on the safari with him, and I quote, Don't listen to them. I'll get as many of them as I want, and it won't be a problem. I know some of you are thinking that he's arrogant right now, but I want you to stay with me. When his men located a herd, I want everybody to turn their... Turn, turn their ears up right now because I'm fixing to preach to you. He poured sweet feed, a blend of oats and barley rolled in molasses on the ground in an open area in the middle of the night and then left. The next night, he scattered the feed again. For two weeks, he spread the feed, night after night. The animals, of course, they came in and they ate it. On the first night of the third week, everybody say the third week. He scattered the feed and he sank an eight-foot post into the ground 20 feet away. The next night, he scattered the feed and he sank another post into the ground 20 feet in the opposite direction. Are you with me? Every night, he added a post. Then he started putting boards between the posts while he was scattering the feed. Six weeks rolled by. He continued adding posts and boards until he had a corral built around his feet. And every night, 
These animals found the gaps between the posts until finally he watched the entire herd squeeze through the final gap. And when they moved in, he moved in behind them and he nailed the last board into place and the animals were trapped inside the corral. He chose the animals that he wanted to take residency in his zoo and he let the others go. This is what woke me up this morning. I'll never forget reading this chapter. It was just one of those books. When he was asked how he knew how to catch them, the author said, he said something that chills me to the bone. And I quote, I treat animals the same way that I treat people. I give them what they want. I give them food and shelter. In exchange, they give me their beauty and their freedom. For six weeks. Let me give you a taste of it. Let me give you what you think is what you really want, what you really need. But two weeks in, there's a post going into the ground. It don't look like it serves any purpose at all, Bishop. It's just a post. Go ahead and eat. A couple nights later, you're going to look around and realize there's some infrastructure being built. But it feels so easy. There's really no big deal. It's just, it's just another post. But six weeks in, you're going to find yourself surrounded by things that you never dreamed. Surely, somebody that could care so much for me to give me what I want would ever be trying to hem me in. I want you to listen to me. This is exactly how the devil works. But, but you notice, this is the lie that he tells you. That the church is just limiting you. The church is just building fences around you to keep from doing what you want. And with every lie, he pours a little more molasses, a little more oats, a little more bitterness. There's a little phrase going around right now. It's a lie from the pits of hell. It doesn't exist. It's called church hurt. I don't care what they say on that website. There is no such thing as church hurt. There's people hurt because there's people in churches. The church has never hurt anybody. The church is your only hope for freedom. Yeah, but there was a pastor that abused somebody. Then that's man hurt. That's not church hurt. I want to tell you about the church. It was purchased with his own blood. The church of the living God. doing this for your good I'm doing this because you're hungry so I'm just going to feed you and the people that say they're doing it for your good you move on but when the fear subsides and your hunger is great you come right back I don't believe if I'd have screamed this this morning you'd have got it but I had to slow down and tell you that as your pastor and your watchman on the wall, I've been watching some of you pursue after things that in the darkness of the night, the enemy has come in and begin to drive post in your family. Things that you read, things that people say. Church, I'm not trying to be insensitive. You know, if, you, if you've been around this church, you know that I love people. 
My friends tell me, bro, you, you, you lead from between the pews. All that means is I love you people. I love being up here in this altar when little kids are worshiping, give them a high five and let them know pastor's proud of it. I, I love this church. I thank God for this church. But I'm going to tell you something. I want you to hear me today. There is a movement of people that are so full of bitterness that the only thing they know how to do is sow bitterness. And they blame the church for the bitterness that's in their lives. I read an article this week about some of the people that I love dearly. They're in, they're in the fight of their lives in a legal battle because of some foolishness in, in, in their school. And it's ridiculous. But there, there is a, I ain't even going to call him a journalist. Forgive me if I sound mean. He's not a journalist. He's just a jerk with a pen or with a computer. And he started, he started writing the most vicious, dark, and disgusting things about the church. And how that, that this is nothing but a setup for people in their life. Listen, I'm going to tell you. If you could walk around this room this morning, thank God that's not about our church. But I've preached in that church and I know those people very intimately. I know them deeply. I know them inside and out. They're good people. They're godly people. And this is what I know when you walk around that room. And you see people all dressed up looking in their Sunday best. And they, they begin to weep tears. And they say, when I came to this church, I was addicted to drugs. My family had fallen apart. But God used that man preaching in that pulpit. And God used the Sunday school teachers in this church to minister to my kids. And, and, and God, God used the greeters at the front door. Don't, don't you think, First Impression team, that your ministry is insignificant? You're the first smiling face that people see when they walk through the doors of this church. When you're shaking hands and greeting people, you are blessing. You don't know what people are going through, but the devil wants you to believe that the safe place. I'm, 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 I'm doing my best to keep from getting distracted right here. But you listen to what I'm telling you. Those kind of lies are doing nothing but putting posts in your spirit where the enemy can fence you in and separate you and isolate you. I wish I had time to preach it. I was sitting on the front row this morning squeezed up when Brother Stephen Gill was getting on my sermon this morning. So I'm not going to go into the depths of it. He did such a good job in Bible class. But I got to reading this morning. It's marked in my Bible. I could show you that when, 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 uh, when Judas came before, uh, before the priest, he came before the Sanhedrin. They said, what will it cost for us? What, 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 what's it going to take? For you to give us access. And there was just enough bitterness inside of Judas. That 30 pieces was all it took to satisfy. You and I don't understand 30 pieces of silver. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Now in that day and time. 30 pieces of silver was the going price for an average slave. 30 pieces. You could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver. But Judas had just enough bitterness in his heart. That his price was 30 pieces. Woo. I'm almost done. But I heard this story of a man who was a boat captain, I believe on the Mississippi River. And he was, back in those days, Sister Bingham could tell you when they were kids growing up, before they built all the bridge infrastructure, if you wanted to cross over into the States, you could go, you could go get on a little 
boat and they'd take you across, a little ferry boat, you know. The story said that the captain of this ferry boat, one day a man walked onto his boat that he, he recognized apparently and he said, hey look, he said, uh, I need you to just turn your head and look the other way. He said, what do you mean, sir? He said, I have a duffel bag. And the, the story says that the duffel bag was full of drugs. He said, I have a duffel bag that I'm going to put underneath the seat. And when this boat gets to the other side, there's going to be a man that comes on and gets that duffel bag. And he had a wad of cash. He said, for $10,000, you're going to look the other way and not say a word. And that guy said, no, sir, I'm sorry. I can't do that. He said, well, then I'll do it for $25,000 and you're going to look the other way. He said, sir, you don't understand. I'm sorry. I can't do that. He said, well, then I'll tell you what, big guy. He said, I'll give you $100,000 today and you will look the other way. And they said that captain reached behind him. He's my kind of guy. This is where the story gets good. He reached behind him and he pulled out a revolver and put it in the guy's face. He said, get off my boat. The guy said, excuse me. He said, I said, get off my boat. He said, what do you think you're doing? He said, sir, I'm telling you, you're getting too close to my price. You hear what I'm telling you? Everybody has a price. And if you keep hanging around those things in the darkness of the night, driving bitterness in your spirit, driving hatred in your spirit, putting racism in your spirit if you're full of the Holy Ghost you ain't a racist you got the Holy Ghost in you look you can't have it both ways you can't be filled with the spirit and hate somebody because they're not your color this whole world is driving stakes in you that don't belong there when you've got the Holy Ghost you know there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor bond nor free In the darkness of the night, the enemy gives you that sweet taste. Folks, I'm going to tell you something today, and I'm not, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I, but I, I, I would never hurt anybody. I would never, uh, I would never break privacy. I'm going to tell you, I've been pastoring full-time in this church, full-time staff here. January was 23 years. I've heard some stories in this church. I've heard some things in my office. You understand that? I've, and all I'm going to say to you today is that there are a lot of people in this church that if they were looking for an excuse to walk away from the church, they would have left a long time ago. There are a lot of people. And again, I'm not, I, I've, never, I've never hurt somebody's privacy. But there's people in here, if they wanted to walk away from their marriage, they'd have just left. But you got to get you got to get something in you that the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I and I'm gonna make you a promise if you if you start dwelling on things like that that this world sells you that everybody's against you that your wife is against you that your husband is against you and you eat on that all the time the enemy's gonna know how to make that taste sweet. 
And I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to find you on a weak day where you've got a bitter taste from your marriage. And he's going to put a sweet taste in your mouth for bitterness. And he'll send just the right person at just the right time to knock you off balance. But I'm going to tell you today, we've been made with a little different kind of liberty than the people of this world that don't have hope. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the prophet said that the Spirit of the Lord will lift a standard up against him. You know what that means? You're not like everybody else. When you've been called out of darkness and the sun has made you free, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you ought to just stand up and say, I'm still going to church. Every time the doors are open, I'll be there. When the devil starts lying, I'll tell the truth. Stand, stand. I, I, I got to finish. We got to baptize these sweet babies. I do the same thing to animals that I do to humans, he said. He said, I give them what they want. They give me their freedom and their beauty. Folks, you hear this preacher when I tell you today, and I'm not just saying this because I'm biased. I am biased, but I'm not just saying it because I am. There is no life like living for the Lord. I don't care how much money they offer you. I don't care how appealing the overtime sounds. If you lose your walk with God and you lose your family, it was not worth it. There is no life. Like living for the Lord if you have not repented of your sins and been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I want to tell you today there's freedom in the house for you. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like they did in the book of Acts with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, there is freedom in the house of the Lord for you today. There's freedom. All over this house. I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. The Spirit of the Lord is moving in this place right now. There's people in this room that the Lord sent you here today. And He sent me to this pulpit with this word in my heart. I'm, I'm serious. I, I, don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be ugly. That's not why I'm here. But I'm telling you, this whole movement that's professing church hurt this and church hurt that, it's a lie. If you watch people, you're going to end up getting hurt. But if you keep your eyes on the prize, keep your eyes on the Lord, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that prayer changes things. If you're here in this house today and you're willing to say, Pastor, I've traded some of my freedom for some things that I thought I wanted. But today I'm asking the Lord to bring me out of that and rescue me out of that would you just make your way today? Maybe lift your hand to the Lord right now. Say, God, I want to serve you. Church, hear me. The devil is a liar. And his mouth is filled with empty promises that he will never fulfill. There is no life like living for the Lord. There is no life like living for the Lord. I know people may have hurt you. You may have been wounded by somebody. But you've been wounded at work too and you go back to work. You got wounded at school and went back until you finished. 
Wherever there's people, there's problems. But wherever there is God, there is freedom. Praise the Lord free at last. These altars are open today if you'd like to come and pray. These altars are wide open today. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, would you come and do that today? Oh, hallelujah. There's still time today, church family. There's still time today, church family. I'm not talking about making him Lord of part of your life. If he's not Lord of everything, he's not Lord at all. Come on, he's got to be Lord of everything in your life.